Hi, I'm Margie, and you're listening to Desert Island Dishes, the podcast where we hear from a whole selection of successful people doing amazing and interesting things, and we find out what their seven Desert Island dishes would be. The question is, of course, do you know what your choices would be? As always, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really does give me a little boost and helps other people find the podcast. It's the last episode before Christmas, if you're listening in real time. And by complete coincidence, the Christmas sandwich makes an appearance in Tommy's choice of desert island dishes. In a little corrections corner, just before you hear today's episode, I should point out a super soaker is a water pistol. I'm far from a Christmas sandwich. Having watched Friends about 900 million times and declaring to my boyfriend just the other day it would possibly be my mastermind topic, I am hanging my head in shame that I couldn't think of the moist maker. Such a good episode of Friends. Ross gets sacked when he goes into complete fury when someone steals his Christmas sandwich from the fridge. But I mean, who wouldn't get cross about that? Anyway, enough of me waffling on. Here is today's episode. My guest today is Tommy Clark. Tommy is a world-renowned photographer specializing in stunning aerial shots taken all over the world. Tommy grew up on the south coast of England in Dorset and spent nearly every childhood holiday by the beach. This led to, in his own words, a deep interest of the interaction between water and land and how people connect with that location. However, it was when he was living in Australia that he first took to the skies and shot aerial photographs of Bondi Beach with stunning results. Since then, Tommy has travelled the world as a photographer, shooting everywhere from Iceland to Saint-Tropez in Mexico. This year was a big one for Tommy with sellout exhibitions, his own gallery opening in London and a swimwear collection for M&S. Welcome, Tommy Clark. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel so lucky to have sort of nabbed you in between your jet setting. I do travel a hell of a lot, but when you hear it read back to you, I have been to quite a few places. Yeah. I forget, been, I've been everywhere. You've been loads of places. And so fun that it's sort of documented on the walls. Yeah. And they all seem to be sunny places with yeah. beaches. <laughs> so convenient, that, no, I'm, Tommy. I'm a, yeah. I'm a trip so to Bognor Regis next. Not maybe? on my to do no. list, just yet. <laughs> maybe. So, Tommy, you now have a seemingly impossibly glamorous job, but like with so many successful people, there is an interesting backstory. So is it true that an injury from a snowboarding accident when you were still at school meant you couldn't play sports and that's when you really first picked up the camera? Entirely true, yeah. I, at, um, how old was I, 16, 17, was just sort of breaking into the, the junior rowing international scene and was thinking, oh, maybe I can do Olympics, I can go that route. I went on a snowboarding holiday with a load of rugby lads and then cracked two vertebrates in my lower back. Oh, God. After, I won't name the rugby player, but he's in very prominent in the England team now. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he said, do a jump. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to impress him and do a jump. <laughs> Fell over before the jump and cracked my back and meant I had to be back braced for a few months and on cycling machines and no rowing, no contact. So, kind of devastating. Yeah, it was. At 16, it was the end of, end of the world. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I wanted to stay involved with the the sport teams I wasn't performing with now. So I picked up a camera and, and did some portraits or action shots. And, and that was, the, that was a start of it, really. That's so cool. So kind of fortuitous. I, although fe- I fell into photography. It didn't. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> like what you Thanks did there, much. Tommy. <laughs> so what did you study at university? Well, I, I went to a school, which I don't really feel was supportive on the arts front. Okay. So, they may on paper say they are, 
but I think that they would more going get get a solid degree from a good university and then become an accountant. That's what they were saying, even when you're at school. I, that's what I felt like. The yeah. underlying vibe was that I I felt and. My strengths were in sports, so I went to Durham University and did sports science yeah. because photography wasn't a realistic job that yeah. sort of was being drummed into me. But then throughout uni, I kept um, kept doing photos and shot fashion shows and charity, those, <laughs> those um, naked calendars that all sports team at un- university oh, think yeah. is the, just the, <laughs> the thing you do to raise money. So I shot about four or five of those. And yeah, that got me through university. That's so cool. So you were sort of working as a street style photographer for Vogue.com yeah. Yeah. and then shooting portraits for people like GQ. Yeah. Obviously, that's a really different kind of photography to what you do now. Mm. When you were doing that, did you kind of have a sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop in, in the way that it was kind of what you wanted to do, but it didn't feel like it yeah, well, I, if I'm honest, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I never thought as a 22-year-old photographer, I want to be a fine art photographer, yeah. hang out of helicopters and have my own art gallery. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have foreseen that. No, I just, that wasn't, <laughs> even three years ago, I wouldn't have thought that. But at that point, I knew I really loved taking photos. I loved traveling and I loved working with people. So at that point, I'd managed to get a bit of work experience at Vogue.com and they needed someone to do some street style. I put my hand up in and they, they chose me to go and do it for a few days they yeah. needed someone to do it in new york and in milan and in paris and i was like oh i can do that and they paid me the cost of doing it and 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 no fee on top and i was happy then i got that that vogue.com on my cv and then i did work experience at gq in the fashion cupboard because i knew that the gq photo desk was in the next room to the fashion cupboard so on day two of my work experience, I got my first job for GQ. And that's so cool. That's how I built that one. I like that. So it's sort of built slowly, slowly. Yeah, I but... took just the, the back door in. I was like, I, I was never going to call up GQ and then say, oh, come and shoot a cover for us. So yeah. I was like, how can I get my first <laughs> sneaky job for them? And yeah, to, yeah, the, the, the back door, but it, it, it got me going a bit. Yeah, that seems like a good moment to pause and talk about your first Desert Island dish of the day. Mm. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. It would have to be roast chicken. Great answer. Purely, I'm from quite a close family. It was the highlight of the week. I went, I boarded at school, but weekly. So I'd go home for weekends and then the Sunday lunch was always roast chicken. So it'd be the moment that everyone, that my, my brother and mum and dad would get around the table and catch up on the week. And it was just a, not so much that it was a Michelin starred meal. It was more that we were all there chatting about our week, what we'd done in the sport team on the Saturdays. Um, what dad had done the week, what mum had got up to. And it was just like a nice family moment. Then you'd watch Gladiators afterwards. Oh my goodness, those are the days. Wine, <laughs> blind dates, all the classics. It's just, that's probably my fondest meal memory, yeah. Is that something that you still do now? Yeah, that's not, I live alone, so I don't do it all for myself, but it's a... Um, you could, Tommy. You could. I, I'm sure I could just do a small poussin yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for one. Um, you paint such a lonely picture, but yes. you could cook a whole chicken, use it the rest of the week. Okay, I'll have to take some tips from you for what to do with the rest of it. Okay, so after all of that, you ended up moving to Australia. How old were you then and what were you doing out there? I would have been about 23 24 and my the photography style that I was getting better at was using natural light and photographing sort of naturally pretty people rather than the sort of quirky London style of yeah. that edginess so I I kind of looked at the the map of the world and thought where do they have these environments where they shoot sort of commercial fashion and it was Cape Town LA or Sydney so 
I packed my surfboard up and went to went to Bondi Beach like every other English person does, it seems, when you get out there. And shot swimwear and portraits and lifestyle fashion for about two and a half years. Oh, it's a tough life. All your friends yeah. must have hated you. They, they did. <laughs> and I reminded them on Instagram the whole time. <laughs> so you had the idea to shoot an aerial photo of Bondi Beach. I can imagine a helicopter ride is quite expensive. Yeah. Did you have the money just to get up there straight away or how did you manage that? Not at all. I've kind of fell out of love with fashion, if I'm honest. I'm a little bit too laid back for parts of the industry was falling out of love with with photography as a whole at that point so was spending a lot more time surfing enjoying the beach while I was there because I guess that's what photography was to you at that time like yeah. it's sort of that it was all wrapped up in that so if yeah. you're not enjoying that it kind of Absolutely. puts you off and it, it does you, you, get, you get down about it if your career is not going the route you want and you're not getting the jobs and so I just got back to what I loved in life which was surfing and the beach and that led me to photographing the beach and sunrises and sunsets and anything I could do down there. And But realizing that it was at that point, I wasn't really taking photos that anyone else couldn't take. My photos looked like generic, nice sunrise photos or yeah. surfing photos. So wanted to do something that was a little bit different. So stockpiled all the money that I had made for the last few months. Um, did some shoots that I really didn't want to do so I could get some more cash together and and contacted a tourist helicopter guy and was like, would you mind taking the doors off and letting me hang out and shoot Bondi Beach? And he said, sure. Oh my God, wait. So I was just imagining you kind of just shoot it through an open window. No, we take the whole door off. Okay. Um, they Sometimes you get a harness, sometimes you get like a waist seatbelt. This was a... What? It's like a car seatbelt with a big open red button on. What? And it, or he just said, by the way, don't touch that. Oh, my oh, okay, God. fine. I'll, I'll do my best. Not but also, to aren't you kind of scared of heights? Weirdly, um, like a vertigo height. So I couldn't stand on the edge of a cliff. Yeah, my knees would like rattle together. But put me in a in a helicopter the door off, and it's fine. It's okay, a bit, it's a bit surreal. It when you're not there. Yeah, I don't. I. It's also so enjoyable, and I'm also aware how much it costs me per minute when I'm up there. That's that, you. That, just... that just is in the back. Then that first flight, I figured out it was costing me. $15.20 per minute I was in the air. Oh my God, I love that you worked that I worked out. For that and, and, I knew, and I knew, so I took so many photos and I, I had a jumper on and it's not a pleasant thought, but I could ring out the jumper after. I was so nervous, so stressed for this whole flight that I just, I didn't enjoy it really as much as I should have. Yeah, I think um, that's natural though. Yeah, it took me a few years before I would be able to put the camera down. And, and and look out the window and enjoy it. And did it feel when you were up there like a real light bulb moment where you're like, I'm, I'm onto something? Not when I was up there, if I'm honest. When I landed and I was waiting to be picked up from the heliport because I couldn't afford a taxi home. Um, so a friend had to come and collect me. Oh, because um, you spent all your money on a helicopter. <laughs> like, literally, no, it's not like I spent all my money like as a, as a frugal speech. I spent all my money. There was nothing left. Uh <laughs> And yeah, yeah, was flicking through the photos on the back of the camera and realized that I'd got exactly what I wanted and, so and realized cool. that was kind of the moment that the direction changed and what I was doing. Yeah, that's so exciting. Okay, Tommy, mm. moving on to the second desert island dish of the day. Mm. What's the first dish you learned to cook? Well, I, I grew up loving food. I think my mum would um, agree with that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to cook and she was like, right, the first thing you can learn is either a roast or bolognese. Oh, two great options. Yeah, but it's like staple things that yeah. on the outside to a non-cut looked quite complicated, but she's like, no, it's just a little bit of timing and some basics. So yeah. um, it was bolognese 
in which in turn then I can make I made chili and there's another one that I used to make oh lasagna yeah so so, so it was quite a nice basic thing to learn I, I I found really therapeutic doing it's the first time that I started enjoying cooking do you still make it now yeah, yeah, not as well as my mum, which is really annoying. What's her secret? I don't know. Um, I don't exactly the same. So she kind of taught you like the bare bones, but she yeah, kept there back. must be some secret ingredient that she <laughs> that puts would, in just so I can be up to her so standard. Mean. I'm sure she does. I'll question her this weekend on actually. <laughs> okay, so you're onto something amazing. You've taken this incredible series of photos. What happens next? How do you transform this from? a very cool and um, potentially expensive hobby <laughs> into an art form that you can do as a job. Well, this is the problem that I had for um, probably two and a half years. So I, when I first did that shoot in 2011 over Bondi, I didn't do anything with the photos artistically for a little while. My agents out there, I actually, no, I sent one of the photos to um, the Australian Facebook page. Yeah. And I, I just, sent them, just sent them a message, said, oh, look, I took this photo over Bondi. I hope you like it. And they posted it on their page. Oh, great. Um, and I didn't realise countries had Facebook pages. <laughs> had a blue tick by it. So I was like, that must be real. And they had 4 million followers and they posted it. And in the first 25 minutes, it got 75,000 likes. Oh my goodness. And luckily one of those likes was from someone from Vodafone. <gasps> and they called my agent and they bought a series of the photos to become the Vodafone campaign in New South Wales. Oh my God, so that's that, amazing. That the, first, um, the first flight. Yeah. In an in a unintentional way, but I didn't really know what else to do with the photos. So that was my, I was like, oh, all right, well, that shoot's paid off. I'll leave it. And it wasn't for two and a half years that I did my first ever little pop up exhibition, put them on the wall, and a few people bought them and then broke even and then reinvested that money into the next shoot and then the next shoot. And then, that's so exciting. Yeah. Where, People around you, like your friends and family, were people supportive or did they think you were being a little bit crazy? Um, entirely the latter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still think it was about two years ago, my mum would still say to people that I, Tom wants to be a photographer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. thanks, mum. <laughs> thanks, you're really kind of you. It's just such a, a weird career. There's no one else really out there hanging from helicopters and making a living from it. It's not a job that anyone in my circle of friends or my family, extended family can look at and go, oh, that's a sensible job choice. That's going to give you longevity in your yeah. career and you're going to do really well. Yeah. So to uh, like build my own business plan, go out and do it and it actually to work is surprising, probably annoying some people. They're like, <laughs> I can't believe that worked. Really? But yeah, it, it is working and I'm, I'm not quite sure how. No, nope. <laughs> that's not to over. No, it. I just, just keep riding away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you've traveled the world with work and mm. I'm really excited to hear your next desert island dish, which is the best dish you've ever eaten. Okay, my best meal is is not uh, at all fancy, but we have a small beach hut down in Christchurch, down in a place called Mudderford. And it's off grids. We have no electricity, no running water, but we have an amazing barbecue. Oh. And you can fish off the sand dunes in front of it and catch sea bass. Ah. Um, with fly fly rods. So me and my dad last um, last summer, we waded out knee deep with a couple of beers in our back pocket and caught three or four sea bass and then took them back to barbecue. Mum had some veggies to go with it. And it wasn't that it was going to be written about in cooking books for years to come, but it was just the sun was going down. It was, we'd caught the fish, brought them straight back to barbecue. And it was just just simply 
just it was perfection yeah. and the, the hut is so far away from roads and traffic and everything it was just quiet just our few neighbors down on this little sand spit um it was yeah if i could have more of those that would be my favorite meal of all time yeah it's like the kind of experiences that you're just never it was, gonna forget yeah and it was just there's no shoes and you're in board shorts and uh, it's just lit, it's just candle lit and you've got a bit of music drifting down the beach it, it's like something from a movie. I mean, it's hard to imagine that right now. We're both sniffling. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual exhibiting mm. process. So taking photos is one thing, but then you need to sell them. Yeah. How do you find that process? Do you love it? Do you find it quite stressful? Does it, was, it come naturally to you? It does come naturally, oddly, but it was immensely daunting because the looking from the outside of the art world, it's immensely um closed off environment and it's quite a difficult one to to approach as a guy that did sports science at Durham. Uh, so I started I did my first little exhibition and invited friends and family, sold a few. So I just rented a space. In Marlebone. Exactly, in Marlebone. I came to it. It was excellent. Of course it did. <laughs> it seems so long ago. Great. But we, um, I did that one and then whatever profit I made from that, I put into the next one. Then I did a few art fairs, which I thought that'd be a safer way rather than investing a few thousand into renting a space and doing the printing was to rent, invest a few hundred and then put stuff on the walls where the, the art fair would bring the customers to you. And that went well for a few years. And then... So that's interesting. So when you do the exhibitions, you already have the... You've already done the printing and you're sort yeah. of guessing which ones people are going to uh, want and I'm, you're taking yeah, a big gamble. you have to do the outlay of all this. Like these are so expensive to get yeah. to get printed each one. So if you because have, people want to take it away immediately? Yeah. Okay. Well, if, if they don't, that means you're left with a print that hasn't sold. Yeah. That's cost you 600 quid to get printed and framed. Yeah. And it's just going to sit in your house. So you have to be really careful about what you, you get done. Otherwise, you're going to completely ruin your cash flow. So that's another problem not problem but in itself because obviously you love all of the prints yeah. they're like your children yeah how do you guess which ones what, people are going to want well in 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 that point in my career i was really only shooting beaches and boats and sort of pretty things so it was i did one whole exhibition based on the instagram likes i got per picture so i sneakily like i posted 20 photos over the course of a couple of weeks and whichever one's got the most likes, I printed them. Like no That's question. such a good idea. It, it didn't work. Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought I thought it would work perfectly. Yeah, I thought that was really I know. Like the market research. But that's the, and then the, the next exhibition I did was purely my choice and it sold really well. So I oh, thought strange. that. I know, but that was when I thought I'd absolutely nailed it. Yeah. And it didn't work out. I sold one so, picture over nine days. I lost a lot of money. So, oh, no. So it is It is a guessing process. It is. Yeah. And it's about having the right clients in and targeting it now, which is what I do now with my team is that yeah. we actually find the right clients specifically that will come and do it. But it's a really great process. And I think people are scared to uh, take it from the next level. I do have a lot of friends of mine that do art fairs and they, uh, they'll get to a certain stage, they'll make a bit of profit, but then they'll just do another art fair and they'll never take it to the next Level, so I I'm much more a risk taker, not just hanging out of helicopters, yeah. <laughs> um, business wise. And so I did um, pop up solo exhibitions after that in much bigger spaces, and then really focused on the guest list and the opening parties and sponsors. And then from there and there and there went better, and then got deals with M and S and Samsung. Yes, and so on. no, I want to ask you about that. And um, but I like that it shows risk taking yeah. pays off, and you do have to be a little bit brave. Yeah, and just to it's just reinvesting is the thing that I thought would be the best for this type of career is that 
rather than if you do have a really good day in the office, don't go out and buy something silly or yeah. go for a 10 week holiday to Cancun. Yeah. I mean, that does sound nice. Yeah, I'd like but... to do that right now, actually, <laughs> again, shivering in the gallery. Yeah. But, but it was reinvesting the next project, or the next yeah. helicopter shoot. And because if you build your archive as a photographer, you can keep saying that for the rest of your life. So Yeah, yeah, um, you're thinking long term and yes, with a business head on. Very sensible for a 26 year old at the time but yeah yeah very sensible um so your exhibitions have been so successful that you now have your own studio in london which is amazing like how did that come about well it it was um the the situation after exhibitions when you're left with prints that haven't sold they just sit in your flat until you do another exhibition and a few bigger jobs came through i thought what's the next best thing i could do is to have a permanent space i could show my work so that if I'm traveling, people can still come and look at my work and yep. designers can look at it or um, clients can come and view it because I'm aware that some of my, my pictures are quite expensive. People don't want to buy them off a little JPEG on a website. So yep. they want to see them in the flesh. So that was then the next thought, but it took probably 18 months to find a place, save up enough um, to actually go ahead and do it. And so we've only been open about a month. That's yeah, so exciting. Done. We've had it for a little bit longer, but we had a few exhibitions we had to get done beforehand. It's such a great space. And yet, like you're saying, it just makes sense. Yeah, it's just a little mini place to exhibit. And if I do a new series, I can put it on the walls here just to start with. And my patrons and already my clients can come in and, and see if they want it before it goes on to the mass market. Yeah, and you've got your name above the door, which is I know, is I do hate that if true. I'm honest. I'm genuinely not vain enough. I, <laughs> I hate it. But um, we have to know, let people know where we are. Yeah, so, I think it's yeah. only sensible to have your yeah. name there. Um, moving on to the fourth Desert Island dish of the day. What is your favourite sandwich? It's perfect time of year to ask me this because it is a complete Christmas sandwich that I don't know which, I think M&S does my favourite one. But they, it is just everything from a um, a, a Christmas meal in a yeah, sandwich. Sounds great. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Not the ones with like turkey and cranberry. I want everything in there. <laughs> like you can't fit it in your mouth. It's got Brussels sprouts in there. It's got gravy in it. Great. Um, so do you, are you good at making your own one? Big time. Yeah. Largely based on the Ross Geller technique yes. of the, <laughs> the, 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 the... What do they call it? The super soaker. Yeah, no. the, the bread that soaks in the yeah. bread. Yeah. <laughs> do you put that in the yeah, middle? Oh my I, God, I love it. It's my amazing. brother puts in... We always have carrot puree and he puts carrot puree in the sandwich. Nice. so gross, but it's kind of like the Ross Geller effect. Okay, I'm going to try that. Yeah, I can see the cogs turning in your brain. Yeah, yeah. Jot that go for that. the carrot sure puree. That yeah, but that would be my favourite one. I don't know. I, you can I mean, go. it seems a shame that you have to wait... Sort of it's whole worth it, year. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you it build is it all up. And then when like the day after Christmas, everyone's having bubble and squeak like, <laughs> not me. I've got a sandwich coming. I actually, I'm with you. I think the sam- the Christmas sandwich is kind of better than the Christmas meal. Yeah. You just get through the meal so that you can have yeah, the sandwich. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be it. So this year, your career took an unexpected but very cool turn when your work was used to create a range of swimwear for Marks and Spencer's. Mm. How did that come about? The wonders of Instagram. <gasps> yeah. What you were discovered. <laughs> Can it be true? Yes. And um, what you were discovered on Instagram. Well, sort of, yeah. So the head of men's design, a great guy called James, he was following me. I didn't know this, but I got an email out of the blue that went to my junk mail. They just had the, the subject line, um, M&S collaboration with <gasps> Tommy Clark. And, oh my goodness, we should all check our junk more often. Oh, I check every <gasps> single day now. Oh. So I I read it and thought... This is, could this be one of those spam ones? Yeah. Pinged out a message and he said, come in for a meeting. And I'm like, oh, wow, this could be real. And then six or seven weeks of negotiations 
um, and there was a contract. Done. Oh my goodness! So, yeah. And what? And then, so how quickly from that to then seeing it in the shops? It, it, uh, probably another six months, really. But it was an amazing process to be a part of. Yeah, and it was just me. I didn't have an agent at the time. Um, on that side of the that side of work, I had to sit on one side of the table in front of ten M and S people and broker deals, and I had a few friends whispering in my ear when I left the meetings to help me with the numbers of it. But it was amazing process um an amazing collaboration they just i importantly wanted it not to just be them licensing my photos but to be MS and tommy clark which yeah. is what they were really happy with so yeah um to get my name out there with such a household name and a, such a british brand um and their lead photo was it was of a, a shot i did over cornwall so it brought it all back full circle yeah it was really nice i love um i read an interview that you did where you <laughs> yeah. said you spend your days photographing beaches with colorful beach shorts from the sky and now those pictures are on the beach yeah. shorts. so it sort of come it, complete it was full circle. so weird and uh, the most annoying thing is that i've still never seen someone wearing them on the beach have you not but all my friends see them and they yeah. send me them on the so it's weird that now the colors that are making these beaches colourful of of the beaches of the photos I've taken of the beach. It's such yeah, an inception very, yeah. thing. You're going deeper and deeper in the dream. Even get my head around. That. Yeah, but it, it is. It was an honour to be a part of it, and um, the, the the press sort of um, junkets we did before were amazing. We met some amazing people, and yeah, it's, I'd love to do something like that again. So now that I'm out of contract, I'm available for all yeah. work. On the, <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> Moving on to the yeah. fifth desert island dish of the day. What's the dish you eat the most often? Well, it, it, it probably would be steak, which sounds really lavish, no. but not not like an amazing fillet steak or something like that. But I eat quite varied throughout the week. From I've been eating quite a lot of veggie stuff recently. Oh yeah, for no reason. But usually Friday, I kind of now that I have roughly a work week that I didn't used to. I used to work pretty much seven days a week. Yeah. I would probably go for like steak and red wine. Oh, yes. And I, it's just sort of my, what I look forward to. So that's probably, uh, I probably have it once a week at least, which is much more than any other meal. Is this somewhere that you're, are you eating this out? No, or you're I, cooking it for yourself? Yeah. Nice. I just nice. like to, I like to switch off and not look at emails and turn, yeah. put my phone facing down and watch, I don't know, watch a movie or just, just, just veg out. That sounds like that's a it, lovely yeah. Friday evening. It is. But I'll, I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably have a steak once a week, which is more than I'll eat anything else. So yeah. Yeah. Yum. So we know you're old school and you use a helicopter to shoot yes. your photos. With the advent of modern technology, to drone or not to drone? That is the question. That's a good question. Well, for me, it's not to drone. Okay. If I'd started my career two or three years later, I probably would be droning. Yeah. I would, it was, it's the cost of one helicopter flight to get yourself a drone and get photos not dissimilar to mine. But I think a lot of the reason that I've had... A, a little bit of success is that people enjoy the the process and how I do it. And I get to meet people that come into the gallery every day and they like to go home and say, oh, I met the photographer. He hangs up helicopters. Yeah. I bought this picture, but like, look, this is him over Bondi Beach. It doesn't quite feel as romantic if someone's yeah. like, yeah, I just was using yeah. my drone. I was looking, <laughs> looking at my iPhone screen. But like, they're really cool pieces of kit. And I got to um, work on a movie last year and directed some drone pilots and watching them fly these things out was amazing. And we got brilliant footage but for what i do as a effectively as a as fine art photography i think there has to be a process behind it yeah and the, my process is sitting on the seats in a helicopter and looking out and scanning the world and then deciding what i photograph rather than doing it with some clever really really clever technology i'm just more i'd like to be up there and 
enjoy the process. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it's sort of like any artist, like Tracy Emin, where you look at her bed. Yeah. Well, if I'd have just made that bed, no one would be interested. It's because she's a fine artist and there's all the story behind it. It Like that's what being an artist is. And a lot of art is, is the paragraph that goes beside the piece that you're looking at. Yeah. And if that paragraph is interesting or not, then it can help inflate the interest of a piece. So it's an expensive way that I do it. And I get a lot of stick on Instagram from drone photographers saying we can't all afford to do helicopters. And I couldn't afford to do it for a long time, but I found a way I, to make I, it happen. Yeah. I, I did jobs. I photographed um, babies' potties. I did dogs' toys. I shot 13 weddings. I never told anyone about them. I never put it on Instagram, but that gave me the money to be able to afford to do yeah. one more flight and then sell some more pictures and one more flight. So, yeah. I think um, people are very quick to look at someone doing something and assume it was easy and that there's yeah. no story behind I'm it. I'm the same. I yeah, do that yeah, the same. Yeah, of course. We all do. And also but. social media is like my feed implies that I'm in helicopters every other day. Yeah. <laughs> Some days of the week I am. I yeah. do a lot of it, but I'm not. The last six weeks I've not been in a helicopter, but people might think as I'm a helicopter photographer yeah. that I'm going down to Battersea Heliport most time, most days and flying around, but I'm Don't not. Don't ruin the illusion, Tommy. <laughs> <Sorry>. Instagram <laughs> is fake. Don't believe it. Um, something I always wonder with artists, do you have any of your own photographs on your wall? I have I have one on my wall purely because it fell off the wall at an exhibition and oh. landed on a radiator. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and it's mounted on aluminium. So it's just got these lovely dents along the front of it and I can't really sell it. So but that sounds cool. It, yeah, Which one is it? It is the, it is one of birds flying along over a salt pond. Okay. But it, it's broken. Oh. <laughs> um, but I don't have much art. I'm just having my place redone at the moment. So maybe when it's redone, I'll, I'll sneak a few pieces. Yeah, in I think so. Yeah, I don't, can't look at my own stuff. I, I'd spend my whole days around my own stuff. So going home is quite a nice switch off for me. So yeah, no, that's, yeah, I am, I'm eyeing up one piece, a Terry O'Neill photo from a gallery in, in Chelsea that I've wanted for the last 12 years. <gasps> one of Faye Dunaway sitting with her Oscar on a table in Ooh. front of my favorite photo of all time. And they have one in stock at the moment. And I'm very 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 tempted oh i hope no one listening to this nabs it before you tommy please no one <laughs> i love so, it <laughs> moving on to the sixth desert island dish of the day what is your go-to dinner party dish oh, there's one that i'm getting better at i'm not a master at this in any sense but it'd be a beef wellington oh just because Nazi. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'd, I'd love to do venison Wellington, but I can never get my like, fillet of, of, of venison that easily from my local mini Sainsbury's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it would be probably a beef Wellington. It's good. It just combines all. I love mushrooms. I love really well-cooked beef and pastry and all the bits you can put with it. So yeah. that would be, it would take a bit of effort, but it probably would be my go. It depends who the guests are. If I, I mean, if I really like them. Yeah, it's a bit of a showstopper. If I don't it? like them, I can just get some Deliveroo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if not, I would go go to town and do Beef Wellington. Well, yeah, I mean, if I went to anyone's house and they whipped out a Beef Wellington, yeah. I'd know they thought I was pretty yeah. cool. Um, well, yeah, that sounds delicious. <laughs> would you make a pudding? Um, sort of peek at Beef Wellington. I, yeah, I don't know if, I, if I'd even be able to do anything after that. I'd be just celebrating around the house. Um, I don't know. Actually, I, I would probably cheat and get those goo things, those souf- chocolate souffles. Yes, those are so And good. pretend I made them myself. Yes, that's always the key. Because I don't think I've ever had a pudding, a bought pudding that is as good as that. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a good choice. <laughs> so curveball question here, yeah. but as a well-traveled man, mm. where is the best place you visited in terms of the food? Oh, in terms of the food, 
oh gosh, so so many, all in different senses. I'd say Australia because I'm a massive fan of surf and turf. I yeah. don't know why that combination works, but I love it. I get a, a steak and prawns and I'm I'm sold. But then I, I get to go to Asia a fair bit. And my mum grew up in, in Singapore. So our home cooked food has always had lots of Asian food in it. So and I got to go to Singapore not too long ago and having the street food there was insane. Um, but then again, if you go to, I love French food and going to Saint-Tropez. So I, I, I think the wonders of traveling so much is that I get to delve into all these different amazing types of food that yeah. are all around the world. And it's hard to pick. Just it really is hard yeah, to pick one. Hard. That's a hard Actually, pick. And even Caribbean food. I'm in Antigua quite a bit at the moment. And just sort of how they cook, just simple, non-expensive cuts of meat that are just really flavoursome. And what they can do with meat on the bone, it doesn't have to be filleted or anything like yeah. that. It's, yeah. For anyone out there dreaming of being a photographer or going freelance or doing anything artistic, what would be your one piece of advice to them? take a lot of photos i think these days with digital photography there's no cost between taking 10 photos and 10 million photos i'm a self-taught photographer so i i don't know how you're meant to take photos i looked at photos i like and liked and thought i'm gonna sort of emulate those and see if i can find a style through liking those photographers but i just took a lot of photos and i made a lot of mistakes and learned from them and to really just keep enjoying taking photos. And if you're not enjoying taking those photos, change up a bit. I've done every type of photography I think there is under the sun to get to where I am. And now I've found a place that I can go and shoot exactly what I love and make a living by it. Wedding photography sounded stressful. It was. And I did some very important weddings, which were, it meant I did one, I did a night wedding for an actor who shall remain nameless. And it was only candlelit. And I wasn't allowed an assistant because it was very, we had to make sure no one knew about the wedding. And it was the hardest wedding I have. I I still get nervous thinking about how I got through that. Oh my goodness, that sounds Um, so stressful. But weddings come with a decent paycheck because there is such stress involved in it and so much pressure. Big responsibility. So it was good for me to do those because then I put that into another helicopter flight. So every wedding I did was for me another helicopter flight. Yeah. And what's next? what's next i am going to i've got some environmental pieces i'm shooting on sea level cool so you're going to step away from doing just art stuff to sell and make money and and sort of the one is what i do is i can show people what the world looks like in far-flung places yeah but i grew up in attenborough and i sort of love those bits when they would show you places you couldn't believe so now that i do that in a sort of a small sense i can show people what iceland looks like and show people what parts of australia that you've never been to look like, yeah, like from a perspective that you you can't see yeah otherwise. so i'm going to try and do the next series which we're playing at the moment on islands that are disappearing so sea level Ooh. rising um and global warming so that these hundred islands that you're looking at now won't be here in 100 years so try and bring through my way of doing things an aesthetic that might drive home a little bit more clearly what's happening in, in places that you can't understand yeah that so that's sounds very exciting. Sort of moment, yeah. Tommy, we're on to the seventh and final desert island dish of the day. What is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island? It'd probably be surf and turf. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. I know I have steak every now and again. That's okay. But it, it would be. It would be one of. The, is it called a tomahawk steak? I don't think I've ever had one. One of those ones that's like the size of a small car. Yeah. And then a lobster. Nice. On the same plate, a bit yes. large plate. Yes, a really big, a platter. A platter, and I'd <laughs> eat the whole thing happily. Um, it, 
it what it would be. I just love those two things. I I love seafood. I love fresh seafood and just amazing steak. So it's probably quite a standard answer. But I, no, we haven't had that yet. Oh, really? No, that's oh. the first time. Uh, yeah, but yeah I, great. I think it probably would be. I think it just it's something that, and maybe on the island I could be finding lobsters. I could uh, be maybe yeah, rock pooling for them. Well, yeah, that's true. But until then, I will have one last one just if I don't catch any on the island. <laughs> and you're allowed to take with you one sort of non-essential essential item. What are you going to take with it, you? Maybe I hinted at it when I said I went fishing with my dad um, for one of the meals, but it would be a fishing rod, not not just through being sensible and trying to catch fish on the island because I'm a mini Bear grills at heart. But <laughs> it's one of the most relaxing things I do. Even if I don't catch anything, it's still nice just to be distracting yourself from modern day life and yes if i'm stuck on a desert island that's going to be a pretty d- good distraction i imagine i think so that's yeah. a great option Thanks very well, much. i will let you take that thank you and yeah thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island thank edition. you very much <laughs> i just love hearing how these amazing people got to where they are and i think it's really inspiring and encouraging to hear that there isn't just one way The road is often winding, there are ups and there are downs. But if you love what you do and you work hard, you find what you're meant to do and it seems to work out in the end. Have a wonderful Christmas. I will see you next week for another episode of Desert Island Dishes. As always, head to www.desertislanddishes.co to see the recipe inspired by Tommy's Desert Island Dishes. And you can find me on Instagram at Made by Margie. Happy holidays. <laughs>